the biggest hardship really is that feeling of a deadline and inevitability and pushing through, uh, I don't want to say laziness, but just that human nature to say, well, I don't really know what to do. And and uh, and, and then instead of doing that thing that you wish. Uh, so it really has to do with perseverance and uh, and discipline. I'm Casey Finey, and this is Fast Company's Creative Conversation, a podcast where we tap into some of the most creative minds in film, TV, music, and beyond. We're tackling the mental roadblocks these creatives have encountered on projects or moments where they felt stuck in their careers. By diving into the problem and the lessons they learned from it, you'll hopefully have a clear blueprint to manage your own creativity. Roman Coppola has established himself as a director whose work touches everything from film and TV to commercials and music videos. But what's become Roman's calling card of sorts is helping others realize their own creative projects. It's why he's been so accurately referred to as a Swiss army knife for creativity. But for all the help Roman is ready to give, what happens when he needs to solve his own creative problems? All right, Roman, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I think anyone who's even remotely familiar with your family would assume that you would have taken uh, a more linear path as a film director. But that hasn't been the case necessarily because the bulk of your credits are in music videos and advertising and all those have been amazing. But I'd love to hear a little bit about how your career has evolved to where it is now. It's a good question. And it was not something I planned or uh designed. It just sort of uh, unfolded that way. Uh, I'm a very curious person. And when I get an invitation to do something I haven't done before, I tend to take it. That's just part of my nature. You know, I'm really curious about uh, different forms and different technology. And uh, I am sort of uh, proud looking you know, back to the things I've done that I've sort of had a hand in uh, many, many different types of, of uh, forms. And, and there's just something about that that, that appeals to me. Yeah, it's, it's not something I, I I planned ahead for, but it just I sort of followed my intuition, and that's where it brought me. And, you know, so the two feature films that you did direct, CQ, which was released in 2001, and A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III, which was released in 2012, I mean, obviously that's a very significant gap. So mm-hmm. between those two feature films, like what would you say that you learned in that respective field of directing feature films? Uh, well, geez, I learned so much because I did a lot of other things in between. Exactly. I mean, for me, the the features that I've done are very close to my heart. And, you know, often I've worked for other people, whether it's a, a second unit director or supporting in some way another person's vision or in the case of commercials or music videos, you're serving, whether it's the product or the, the band, you know, you're there to bring them what they need through the work. Uh, for my personal films that I've done, I just I'm the client, I'm the person that I'm doing it for, and they've tend to be tended to be kind of odd, you know, and they're they're not so well known, but uh it was just sort of my need after working uh for other people so much just to do, you know, this is going to be my thing. And so they're they're quite individualistic. Uh and to be honest, they don't really occur to me that frequently. It's not like I have this burning uh, need every year to to make a film, someone like Woody Allen or these other right. David Lynch or something. He's just kind of always, you know, exploring these ideas and these themes that come out year after year. You know, in filmmaking, um, it's quite difficult to get funding and to get that momentum. So uh, some of the lag between the things I've done is just that sort of reality of filmmaking. You have to kind of uh, build it to that uh, inevitable 
place where it's going to happen, and that can take a few years. Right. So, so I, I predict that uh, you know in two years or something there'll be some other movie I wish to make that'll be another personal film. But in the meantime, I'm doing a lot of different things. For you, what does that kind of spark of I want to make this film look like? Because you strike me as the type of person that has a million ideas running through his head at any given moment. And so for you, what 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 constitutes an idea strong enough to carry a feature film? Like, what is that for you, that creative spark that says, like, okay, I want to make a feature film out of this idea? I joke around with my wife where I have a, I'm starting a new philosophy called intuitionism. Hmm. And basically, you just follow your intuition. Right. And I think it's pretty a pretty good thing to follow in my religion or philosophy of intuitionism. <laughs> it can relate to how you wish to vote or how you wish to interact with people, whatever. You just use right. your intuition and you're pretty good. So there's just a, th- a feeling that builds up and you start to put things into that into that basket, as it were. I read a, a funny term that appealed to me in a book. I can't remember the title. I think it was actually uh, Make It Stick or Made to Stick. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that book? I think so. That it's, sounds familiar. Yeah. It's an interesting book. It talks about what makes an idea kind of grab people and stick. But they used a term which appealed to me, which is to put your certain goggles on. So the analogy they used, as I recall, was if it's Father's Day and you're walking down the street and say, oh, I got to get my dad a Father's Day present, you put on your Father's Day goggles. So as you're walking down the street, you say, oh, wow, there's a camping store. Maybe there's some tent. Ah. And otherwise, you're walking down the street, and if you th- don't have those goggles on... You're not you, going to pick up on those things. Exactly. Right. So if, if you get an idea, then you kind of put those goggles on. What I mean by that is if you have that feeling of making a film that has this kind of DNA that you're sensing and you watch another film, you might say, oh, wow, that shot, like I could do something like that right. for my thing, and you relate to it. So I find it becomes a very fertile time when you have that glowing nugget, DNA, right. whatever you want to call it, then you can really associate and uh, anything you see, you can either put it in that basket or no, it doesn't go in and you start to, to define it. Hmm. And I love that idea of kind of putting on goggles and putting yourself in those, in that mindset of, a, I read somewhere like when you were working on the Darjeeling Limited with Wes Anderson that, you know, you and Wes and you know, Jason Schwartzman kind of put yourself, you let things happen to you. Like you mm-hmm. traveled as a group, you know, you kind of put yourself in the mindset of these three brothers and you just kind of let experiences happen to you. So I guess like how frequent is that for you in your creative process to kind of put yourself in like physically in that mindset or in that space to let these ideas kind of blossom out? Because it seems like a great process, but, you know, yeah. and it's not always the most practical. Yeah. It's <laughs> hard if you're doing uh, some medieval movie <laughs> right. or something. For Darjeeling, that was definitely uh, part of the process um, that to, to kind of get in that moment and then things happen to us and we uh, would recall them and, and incorporate them into the script. By a contrast, Moonrise Kingdom, which I also did with Wes, that was all reflection about uh, the feelings we had when we were 11, 12, 13 years old. And so we didn't go camping or do anything like that. But you, <laughs> Which would make for an amazing short image film. of yeah. like, you and Wes Anderson <laughs> going camping. That would be very interesting. <laughs> um, but we reflect, you know, you kind of visit your childhood memories and those experiences, falling in love or having feelings for, for someone when you're that age. And so that populated that movie. So in a way we visited our recollections of that time, which is like a visit physically. But to be honest, um, it's seldom that I'm working on something and it's like, oh, we have to experience it in order to write about it. You daydream. And I love uh, research, of course. So 
if whether it's material you find, books or visuals, uh, and then sometimes, of course, places can inspire you. Mm-hmm. Darjeeling would be the only example that comes to mind that we sort of portrayed something and lived it to help define the, what we were writing. Right. And, you know, speaking of director Wes Anderson, I mean, you've there was Darjeeling Limited, Moonrise Kingdom, also Isle of Dogs. I mean, this is a frequent collaborator of yours. And, you know, he's referred to before as his Swiss army knife when it comes to creativity, which I think is a wonderful title to have. And so, you know, what would you say is your approach to solving creative problems? Because that's what in the industry you've, you've become you've become known for is this kind of creative problem solver. So what is your approach to solving the creative problems for other people, I suppose? Well, often uh, when someone's working, whether it's Wes or Sophia, you, you know, you get to a point and then uh, you get a little bottled up or you don't have everything figured out. You have a sense of it and a sounding board is a helpful thing. And this, you you want your sounding board to be uh, have your best interest mm-hmm. and to not try to nudge in their ideas. And you want your sounding board to resonate with what resonates with you. And so in the case of Wes and Sophie in particular, uh, we have that relationship. Like I I just want Wes to make his movie. I'm not trying to get my ideas in or do anything other than to to allow it to pass it. And so I'm just there to, to serve him. And it comes from my background. You know, I started doing second unit as a early on in my career. And second unit is a director, but the director is uh, in service of the director mm-hmm. of the film. And so you're looking for ways to unlock whatever it is that they're looking uh, to do. In the case of uh, Moonrise, you know, Wes had cooked up the, the world of the film, and he he knew a lot, which was specifically these two kids are kind of uh, on the run having this experience, but he wasn't totally clear on how they got there and some other right. things. So my role was basically to kind of be a sort of midwife to say, well, how did they get there? Maybe mm-hmm. uh, they met had met prior. Like, oh, yeah, they, they had, and, and then we figured it all, that all out. So it works differently in all the different things I've done growing up around filmmaking, there's so many little cheats and tricks and techniques and ways to to make things happen that become a sort of a, a toolkit. Right. And, and people like Wes and Sophia will often um, say, oh, how, how would I do this or do that? Mm-hmm. And then I can sort of guide them. I think it's interesting because it sounds like, you know, the the root of your collaboration process is knowing your lane like not overstepping your bounds like if you are if you're a sounding board you stay a sounding board and you don't try to make it into your own film how do you how do you check yourself how do you make sure that you are kind of staying in your lane and you're not you know overstepping your mm-hmm. bounds like what is that check and balance for you when you're collaborating with with you know Wes or your sister Sophia or anybody else you know i think maybe it comes from uh, how i was raised uh, around a film set you know, when I was a kid and you'd visit a film set, there was a certain protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't talk when the film, you know, when the people are preparing. You would never think to sit in a chair on the set that wasn't your chair. And right. as a kid, you don't have a chair. <laughs> uh, you and, and there's a kind of tradition that maybe comes from theater and so on where there's a sort of regimented, almost military way it goes. Growing up around my dad, you know, he was the director, and he sort of commanded that certain respect and, and understanding that he was leading the way. And so I would have summer jobs to help do this and be an extra, do whatever. And there's a very uh, clear chain of command that we are all here to serve that person's vision. And everybody wants to be a director. So a good director wants input, intelligent input from key collaborators. So it's not like 
you're just this figure that is unreceptive, but there's a, a way to do it. So you, you respect that. And aside from that, I think I take after my mom in a certain way where she's a very nurturing person and helpful and she's the kind of person you can, uh, you know, kind of if you're having a problem, get advice and there's not like an agenda. Like, oh, you should do this. It's kind of like she wants to understand what you're trying to do. So mm-hmm. I think I have maybe some of her traits as well. That's fair. I talked about you being this amazing problem solver for other people, but when it comes to kind of solving your own creative problems when you're dealing with, you know, your own personal projects, what is that like for you? Like, has there been a project or a moment in your career where you have felt stuck or there's been this creative hurdle that you couldn't quite figure out? Well, there's different kinds of hurdles. I mean, there's in the film business, there's there's always this sort of finance and getting momentum hurdle, Mm -hmm. uh, which sometimes can be a problem. (laughs) It's always a problem. And it can be a very uh, difficult problem to overcome. The biggest hardship really is that feeling of a deadline and inevitability and pushing through, uh, I don't want to say laziness, but just that human nature to uh, say, well, I don't really know what to do. And then you get distracted by another thing. And in my uh, line of work, since I support myself by doing a commercial or video or uh, working in some other project, then for me, I've struggled a bit where I'll be on the case of something and then I'll get called away and then it'll be hard to get back into it. Mm -hmm. Or you find excuses as (laughs) as creative people do. So that's something that's on my mind is how to be, you know, create better patterns and uh, and, uh, follow through Mm -hmm. uh, for writing, which is the most beguiling aspect of of work. (laughs) Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, when you're on a set and you have problems, you just figure it out because you have a big team and it, you have to. But when you're writing, oftentimes, you know, setting up a writing station is like a really is really good for a couple of good sessions. So you sharpen your pencils, you get a new pad of paper, you find a good desk. Uh, if you travel, you know, you bring that with you. And often I find travel is very stimulating uh, for writing and especially if you, you know, have a place to have certain privacy and so on. So there's those kind of obvious things that help uh, push it along. And it really has to do with um, with perseverance and uh, and discipline. And I think certain people, creative people I've observed, they're just driven in a way by some uh, innate quality. And I, I have flashes of it, but I have three little kids who I really enjoy playing with. And in my life... Uh, it's quite easy to get distracted. It's like, hey, you want to go to the playground? And like, you know, I'm in the mood to do that. And and that's not going to put me in the chair to generate 10 pages. So anyway, this is all life stuff, I think, anyone yeah. who aspires to do creative things deals with. Right. And so have you been able to kind of harness that discipline and have that focus kind of later on in your career? Because it seems like that's something that if you're not, if it's not innate in you, if you're not born with that kind of just that innate focus to accomplish something, then you would probably learn it as time goes on. Have you found that to be true? Or is it just something that you... You know, I have flashes of it, to be honest. I do like to put myself in situations where I have a deadline, like with a music video, for Mm -hmm. example. There is a uh, strategy or uh, uh, technique, and it has to do with deadlines and making commitments to other people. You say, look, we're going to do this. And then when you have a difficulty... You, you can't get out of it and you just push through. And I've found I've used that, you know, over time you, you sign up to do something and you just like you give in and then there's no question of 
having that personal perseverance because it's just kind of a, a fact that you're going to follow through. I completely agree with that. I feel like for me, you know, in the work that I do, I I I love a deadline. Like if you if you just don't affix any time of me to turn this in, like yeah. I will take my time with it, yeah. and it'll probably I'll probably just may not return to it because I'll get distracted by something else, just like you mentioned. And so it sounds like the issue is kind of setting a deadline for yourself, like when you have. You know, in the case of, say, you know, a glimpse in the mind of Charles Swan III, like when you're in the writing process, like when there wasn't, you know, you didn't have like studio deadlines or anything like that, right. you're still kind of working on, on the on the script itself. It seems like a very, it would be very easy to just be like, I'll get to it eventually, I'll right. get to it and just kind of keep pushing it off. So how do you set those deadlines for yourself when there's no... Right. Well, there's a curious thing that happens with both CQ and Charles Swan, which are my two like, personal movies that I really come from my heart that I wrote and directed and produced and all right. that stuff. There was a inevitability. There was no way I was not going to make those movies. That stubborn side of me, like, I'm going to do this. And I had this feeling about it. And that's something you can't really manufacture. It's just sort of innate in the material. In the case of CQ, you know, the story has to do with this young guy who's aspiring to be a filmmaker, and there's a kind of a question as to whether this more artistic path or more commercial path are relevant, and mm. and that was my, where I was at. There was a, a kind of a burning kind of personal need to sort of figure it out and define it and put it mm. out there, right. and the same is true with uh, Charles Swan. It had sort of gestated and had to do with a lot of personal subject matter and feelings about women and L.A. and this world that... Uh, a it was really rough breakup. <laughs> a rough breakup, very much so. That's what triggered it. And so as we're talking, uh, speaking very frankly, I'm sort of inviting that feeling to happen, and I'm sort of in the mood like, oh, it would be nice to have that burning desire. And interestingly, I'm sort of blessed in that um, I don't have any hugely troubling things, so it might be muting some big artistic a voice. I remember, you know, growing up, I was born in 65, so in high school, and, you know, there was sort of the Reagan era and AIDS, and you saw such a blossoming of art right. come about when there was this kind of need to sort of express, and we're seeing it now in this generation Absolutely. where there's this kind of vitality that's kind of blossoming and people are really pushing back. And so there's no doubt that art sort of comes out of these kind of conflicts and Anyway, it's interesting yeah. subject matter. And that's really fascinating. I, I mean, you're completely right that I feel like some of the best work comes from something. It can be it can be like an, an, a national problem, but if you're dealing with it personally, that's something that can really sp sprout forth amazing work. And, you know, I think that that's why, you know, both of the films that you've done, which is I, I would really want for you to do more feature films because, Thank I mean, I've, I love CQ and I love... Charles Swan III, I think that they're both really inventive films. And it's, I would love to see you do more of that, but you bring up the good point of like, you know, it's, you don't want to, you don't want to necessarily do a film like where everything is just great and it's right. just wonderful. And like, right. there's no tension, there's no problem to solve. So yeah. I get that. But, you know, have some problems, have some yeah. problems. Roman. Little, little, little problems. That's not good. <laughs> so outside of kind of having uh, deadlines to work with, like when you're working with, uh, say, a client or something along those lines. How does your approach differ when you're working on something personal versus when you are working within the confines of, say, someone else's vision? Like a brand comes to you saying, like, hey, this is what I need you to do. Do it. Go. As opposed to just kind of having free reign with your own personal projects. What's your approach? How do you differ? 
Well, I think for many artists, a frame, a confine is helpful uh, mm-hmm. to know, you know, what are my tools and what's the expectation. So when a brand may come, you know, you have to speak about certain product features or express mm-hmm. whatever it is. Now, I'm more of a sort of Hollywood director from the 30s where I get the script, I look at it, I interpret it, uh, I bring the cast together, I bring the team together, and I execute it the best way I can and with their goals in mind. And I'll give an example. Like uh, I did a thing for The New Yorker. Uh, they made a, uh iPad uh, app. And so I they came to me and they didn't have hardly any. I said, oh, will you do something? And that's just playful uh, and expresses how to work this thing. So I did that with my cousin Jason Schwartzman. We're great collaborators. And we did it in an afternoon. We just goofed off. We were very wacky. And we talked about all the features and we had a blast. I had like, I shot the camera. I had one assistant doing the sound and I had my secretary helping doing the production to get some Mm -hmm. food. And we just made it in the most playful, uh, offbeat way. And it's one of the better things I've done for a client. So it was just an example of how when you sort of know the goal and you can sort of create something, uh, something I really enjoy. Right. uh, As opposed to just kind of directing for hire, which is often what I've done. So that's sort of what I'm excited about doing is using those tools uh, in other ways besides just making uh, films. Right. And, you know, speaking of that, which I feel like not enough people know about and you don't get enough credit for, the photo bubble. Uh, yes. Like, I feel like that was just such a brilliant idea of, like, you know, you have this you have this, you have have this, this ask from a client and you have to come up with a solution and you wound up making a pretty innovative product. So Definitely. for people who don't know, please clue them in about the photo bubble and how that came to be. Well, the photo bubble uh, is a—it's uh, really a service, but it's a big uh, inflatable structure that's a, essentially a sound. St- it goes inside a soundstage, but it's an inflatable plastic bubble that is lit from the outside, so you can go inside. They're very enormous—you know, over 100 feet long on occasion. It's a big glowing softbox, and it's very suited for car commercials. And the way it came about is, I had a uh, was engaged to do a commercial for the Prius when it first came out, mm-hmm. and the script called for the car to be driving very swiftly in this uh, magical white environment. And if you shoot cars, uh, it's very challenging because they reflect everything in their surface, mm-hmm. and for them to look good, often you want a big, soft, white light on the top right. to give the shading and the shadows. So anyway, we struggled over how to do this, and an idea popped in my mind. I had been friendly with this uh, some of the folks involved with an art collective known as Ant Farm, and they did Cadillac Ranch, which is famous in Texas, and they did a thing called Media Burn, which I was a fan of and actually referenced in another music video. So anyway, they had written a book called The Inflated Cookbook, which is a, hmm. uh, a instruction manual on how to make inflatable structures. So I got my copy, and, and, and that was the sort of aha moment. So it's an example of you know, when you're curious about things and collect things just for your own pleasure, uh, right. and then all of a sudden, like, wait, that, that'll that fit here. We ended up uh, having such success with it on that shoot. We uh, I formed a small company to continue to make the photo bubble for other clients, and we've done dozens of them over the years. And that's like a such a joyful feeling when you have that piece that you can bring in. And it's the same with writing, you know, right. when you're like, oh, this character can do this, and then we can, they can go there, and then this can come together. And that's really just the beauty of, you know, this kind of creative work where you're finding pieces that fit. That, and so, I mean, I think that that's just really incredible. And do you feel like that's something that you want to incorporate more in 
you know, your already packed <laughs> resume. And are there other filmmaking challenges that you feel like you can solve with innovation? Is that something that you want to do more of? Like, is there any other thing that you see that, you know, there there could be like a market for? I do. In fact, that's sort of uh, where uh, my imagination has been taking me recently is how can I use my skill set that uh, has been honed or whatever over these 35 years of professional movie activity and apply it in other ways. And I was approached by a film school in Florida. It turned out they were needing to design a uh, film studio facility. And uh, they asked me, oh, would you give us some advice? And I had drew up all these plans and we collaborated on that. Mm-hmm. And so I get to have on my resume now that I've designed a, you know, it's a small student facility, but to some of the specs that I felt were valuable. Right. And to me, uh, that's what's really exciting. And to use my uh, sensibility and also the assets I am kind of acquainted with, like I know the best costume designers in the world and the best set designers. And if someone was opening a store and saying, well, how can we make it unique or compelling or feel interesting when you walk inside – the skill set of a filmmaker, which has to do with mood and feeling and color and lighting and music and wardrobe, what do people wear, how do you interact, that uh, this type of kind of user experience and innovation consultancy kind of thing is a turn on to me. Right. Because, uh, again, I'm just attracted to things I haven't necessarily done but are familiar because of my enthusiasms. And the now there's so much cool stuff happening with um, – the virtual reality and augmented reality Absolutely. and, uh, you know, haptics, built-in haptics to environments and uh, cool technology that I'm acquainted with and to think of how to uh, use it in other ways. Uh, and it's not really film, uh, so, so appropriate to filmmaking. It's more appropriate to experiences, which is kind of what a film is, too. Absolutely. So, you know, you being this wealth of creative knowledge and creative problem-solving skills— if you can leave our listeners with one creative lesson, what would it be? It's hard to, to distill it down. I think, you know, one of the themes we were talking about is really pushing through. And uh, what comes to mind, maybe it's silly, is uh, the crossword puzzle. And so often, I'm not a big crossword puzzle person, but I like to do it on occasion. I start off strong and then I just yeah. trail off. <laughs> well, I think that's many people's experience, but a lot of times I'll do a puzzle and I'll get as far as I can and I'll say, the puzzle made a mistake because that, th- those, <laughs> that, there can't be a word that fits Same. that. Right. And so I was like, God, oh, that's weird. It's unusual because they're not supposed to have mistakes, but right. this one obviously <laughs> does. But if you can understand that there is not a mistake and that you need to figure it out, if you put it down or maybe you take a moment or think again or go over it again, you will get further. Now, mm-hmm. I can say everyone will solve every crossword puzzle, but that place that tends to stop you uh, because you don't see it, if you try harder, try again, you will likely finish it or get further. And that's something I try to remember that, especially with writing. And I remember working on Darjeeling specifically and feeling like, oh, my God, this script is not going to be finished. It's not, there's no path for it. It didn't make any sense or whatever. And then we kept 
pushing and asking and inquiring and trying. And this wait a second, that could happen. And then if that happens, this happens, then it sort of tumbles out right. like a crossword where you get that one thing and sort of unlocks five others. So exactly. my two cents advice would be push forward and have confidence that that if you push forward, you will get a result. Nice. I love that. Well, Roman, thank you so much for joining me. This has been wonderful. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. I just wanted to remind you that our fourth annual Innovation Festival is coming up fast. We've got a stacked deck of speakers and panels and workshops. You really don't want to miss any of it. For more information, head over to events.fastcompany.com. And as a special gift to our listeners, you can get 30% off your tickets to the Innovation Festival when you use the offer code podcast. That's events.fastcompany.com and offer code podcast to save 30%. Get your tickets and I'll see you in New York.